Welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton. And on this week's midweek mini episode, whew, we are going to do a few things. We are going to talk about uh, post-election, now what? And we're going to talk a little bit about staying grounded in the face of ambiguity. So for many people in the United States and around the world, watching the election unfold, watching some of the sort of chaos and pandemonium leading up to the election, uh, there has been a lot of stress. There has been a lot of ambiguity. What's going to happen? How do we know? There's been a lot of speculation. And this is what we as human beings do when there are major events, major circumstances that are happening in our life that can have a very serious impact on us and our families, our work environments, our taxes, our livelihoods, the way that we live our lives, whether or not we're going to be safe, etc. And so there's been a lot of speculation about what is going to happen. And um, I'm recording this the day after the election. So it's Wednesday. Um, you know, things went down yesterday. And as I think many people sort of expected and predicted, the election didn't really have a sort of revolution, re resolution, right? There's um, still right now the votes are being tallied and uh, we aren't really too sure what's going to happen yet. Um, Donald Trump, in some ways, a tried to claim victory, which um, is, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think many people on both sides of the political spectrum are uh, sort of rejecting that attempt at, at saying that he's won, obviously, um, because it's it's not finalized yet. And I think for the average person, though, this is a a small instance, a small uh, sort of window into what has been happening for pretty much all of 2020. 2020 has been riddled and littered with a tremendous amount of ambiguity. And by the way, if you're tuning into today's episode, thank you very much. Um, I also just want to recognize that I don't have the greatest sound quality right now. Uh, Vienna and I just drove the past four days from Idaho back to New Jersey. And we didn't get in until midnight last night, uh, and so I'm recording this. <laughs> I'm recording this on my mobile device, uh, and I, I don't exactly have the best setup right now. So I apologize, apologies in advance. Um, I, I haven't had time to set up my whole uh, podcasting rig, but I wanted to get this out to you and talk about ambiguity. Um, so for many of us, we have been sitting in this state of ambiguity for months, and it's not a normal state for most people. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about what actually is ambiguity. I'll talk a little bit about the election and sort of sprinkle it in there. And then how you can actually utilize this ambiguity that we have found ourselves in, in some very beneficial ways. Because there's been a lot of research over the last few decades about how we as human beings deal with ambiguity and how that ambiguity, how, how we deal with it, uh, can actually dictate a lot of our uh, internal mindset, mindfulness, um, our levels of stress, how we are perceived as being confident or not confident can really be tied back to how we face and deal with uh, ambiguity. So just ask yourself before we start this, how many times have you shied away from tackling a project because you couldn't be sure about the results of your efforts or about how the project uh, would unfold? And also, how would you feel about yourself if your efforts were unsuccessful? So like many people, 
if you doubt the project or how it's going to unfold or what the outcome is going to be, you generally tend to shy away. This is how this is how we um, tend to operate. And there's a lot of components that play into this, right? We all, most of, I mean, pretty much everybody, the research has shown, has a negativity bias. So we tend to go to worst case scenarios. We tend to play things out. Uh, you know, I saw a lot of a lot of articles, a lot of commentary leading up to the election that was sort of predicting civil war, you know, massive amounts of civil unrest. Um, I even saw one one guy write an article. He was a war game developer. So he consulted for the government and he also helped to, to produce uh, war games, video games. And he was sort of pre- predicting like, you know, every which way, no matter which way you shake it, there's going to be some sort of civil war. And listen, that may still unfold in some way. I think that the United States is in a very uh, interesting scenario right now and it's sort of teetering on the edge. And I by no means am a political uh, <laughs> savant, <laughs> to say the least. I, I am not the most politically savvy person, um, but I know people. And I have spent a lot of time and invested a lot of my life into understanding why people operate the way that they operate. It's always fascinated me, even since I was a child. I was always curious about, like, why do people do that? Why do we act in these ways? And so, you know, there is a lot of civil unrest. And I think that there is more division amongst Americans specifically than ever before. And as a Canadian living in the United States right now, I feel that. I see that. Um, It's a very interesting time to be in America right now. So what is ambiguity and why is it so important? Well, let's just go into this. So ambiguity generally occurs when several interpretations of a situation are plausible, um, creating some sense of uncertainty, right? So if, if we look at a situation like this election, and again, this is just a microcosm of, or a macrocosm, which depending on which way you look at it and how in, impacted you are by it, it is, it is an example of what we have been experiencing day by day for the last eight months as we have has been sort of forced into this quarantine. And many of us have, you know, we don't know when, when businesses are going to op- open back up, when we can go back to the gym, uh, you know, when we can sort of resume our daily lives, when, when life can sort of, quote unquote, go back to normal. So there's a tremendous amount of ambiguity that you've probably faced in your own life, not knowing when you're going to be able to go back to work, not knowing when your kids are going to be able to go back to school properly, not knowing when you're going to be able to walk back into the grocery store without having to wear a mask um, or turn on the news without you know some sort of massive threat of civil unrest in North America. So this ambiguity shows up when there are multiple possibilities, when there are uh, you know a, a number of possibilities that could unfold and it's seemingly impossible for us to sort out what's going to happen. And dealing with ambiguity is really all about, in some ways, being able to understand risk, um, cope with a certain level of risk. And it's really about how we make effective decisions without always having all of the information, right? So like, uh, as an example, Vienna and I were trying to decide whether or not to build a home in upstate New York. And, you know, we let go of our apartment in Manhattan and we we're trying to decide, you know, what are, what's our next steps, right? Nothing was sure, nothing. There was so much ambiguity. 
And we really had no stronghold on where we could be or, or what life would look like. And given the circumstances, we had very you know specific parameters. It's not like we could exactly just pick up life and go travel Europe or you know go to Japan, which is what I really wanted to do, <laughs> right? There's many restrictions, but there was a, a, a pretty high level of risk in investing and building a home, and you know sort of anchoring in and building some roots um, in upstate New York, and finding our own property where people would come and work with us. So. That's a tr- that's an example of a tremendous amount of ambiguity, not knowing what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with family? Are we going to go into lockdown again? Is there, you know, is, are we going to be able to go back to work in the next couple of months? And so, like you, we have had to make some pretty life-altering decisions with very little information about what life will look like. And so part of how we deal with ambiguity properly is like I was saying, being able to assess risk and being able to cope with a certain amount of risk that we don't know how it's going to unfold. And it's all also about making these decisions from a place of not having all the information and not having even some of the information that we wish we would have. And here's the great thing. Um, by the way, there's there's some great research about this, but multiple studies have actually shown that people who have a better or high, better is a you know sort of insignificant word here, but but people that have a higher threshold or higher tolerance to ambiguity generally are perceived as having having a high level of confidence, and they also feel more grounded or rooted or, or confident in their decision making process. And what's more is that the higher level of tolerance that we have to ambiguity is correlated to a reduction in stress and an elevation in a sense of self-empowerment. So this tolerance for ambiguity is incredibly important because it's been listed, um, it's also been listed as a, a very critical component to what makes exceptional leaders. So while ambiguity often sort of represents and symbolizes this this risk of uncertainty and it's very wary, what we as individuals need to start to do is to realize that ambiguity is everywhere, right? And, And we can sort of lead ourselves through life pretending like we know and we are certain that, you know, events are going to unfold in a very specific way. And that is, that's quite, um, in, in, sort of enchanting, right? It's a very uh, addictive quality to what our brain wants because our brain in many ways, it wants to have certainty. Your mind loves certainty and it will move in every single which way. It will try and jump through hoops. It'll try and make your life look a certain way so that it can find certainty. Your mind loves certainty. Um, but as the, the the old saying goes by a, a, a Buddhist monk, an author from the, the 13th century, he, he said, um, life's most precious gift is uncertainty. And life's most precious gift is uncertainty because of how confronting it is to our ego. And we really start to meet ourselves in the face of ambiguity and uncertainty. And when things are unknown, all that we are left with, you know, our, our rational mind, that machine of the rational mind that just loves to go and go and go and try and figure out 
how to reduce risk, you know, 100% and how to make the decision that's going to uh, unfold in the exact way that you want at the exact time that you want and how to maintain that level of perfection. That part has to fall by the wayside a little bit. And we have to start to move more into an intuition-based form of decision-making. And yes, we can still assess the risk. Absolutely. We shouldn't ignore that. But in this, in this time, how we stay grounded in ambiguity is that we start to assess the risk that we know of and then make intuitional-based decisions from that place right? Then say like, okay, these three outcomes, right? These three outcomes. So like when we were making the decision of whether or not we should buy the house upstate or build a house upstate, right? Buy property, build a home and have a space where people could come and work with us in person. That's that's been something that we've wanted to move towards. But right now it seemed like a very ambiguous time to do that, right? We don't know what's going to happen with the elections. We don't know what's going to happen with the economy, um, we don't know if if we should stay in New York or whether we should go. I mean, there were so many unknown variables. And so what we did was we assessed the risk financially for us personally as a couple, as a, as a unit, as an entity, as a financial entity. Um, we assessed the risk of, you know, what would happen if we if we do this and it takes much longer, right? So you sort of play out worst case scenario. And then you assess the risk by playing out the best case scenario and then sitting in the seat of intuition and sort of saying like, okay, now that I've, I've satiated the rational mind and I've let it run its course, I've let it run its gamut, then it's really about finding stillness and training ourselves in finding stillness so that we can listen to that voice of intuition and what direction it wants to take us. Right, so how do we train ourselves to cope with with ambiguity, and sort of lessen stress and stay grounded? Well, first and foremost, this is a practice, right? For many of us, for many of us, we have been taught to control. We have been taught actively to control every single outcome, and so for many of us, we have a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety when we can't predict what's going to unfold. So this is really where we have to practice. We have to practice accepting that we might not be good at allowing ambiguity. We might not be proficient at sitting with and being with ambiguity. We might hate it, right? We might want to reject it entirely. You might you might have been listening to the last 14 minutes of this podcast thinking like, I hate this. I hate every single part of this, <laughs> right? And I've been there. I used to be like that. I used to hate ambiguity. So we have to start to practice being with ambiguity. The next thing is that we need to focus our rational mind on being able to problem solve. So have some trust, have some, have some faith in your capacity to solve problems. Give your rational mind something to chew on, right? Because that machine is going to want to keep going. So give it a time and place. Maybe sit down and journal about the problem that you're facing and let your rational mind go about how it can solve that problem. You might need to actually satiate the rational mind's craving to try and solve the problem at hand. And you might find that it comes to a resolution. But if that doesn't work, then you need to move into a space of trusting your gut, trusting your intuition, right? And just doing it. And moving into a space of doing what you think or feel, probably feel, (laughs) 
doing what you feel is best, not from an emotional response, right? Not from fear, not from reactivity, but doing what you feel is best that's going to move you in the direction of expansion based off of the data and the information that you have at hand. And in some ways, this sharpens and refines our ability to have success in ambiguity because we actually practice how to show up in that space, right? It's like meditation. When you sit down in meditation, I remember the very first few times I sat down in meditation, I was like, am I doing this right? I don't even know. You know, I mean, meditation is an act in surrendering to ambiguity, right? In many ways, you're sitting down and you don't know the process. Uh, You don't know what you should or should not be doing. Your mind's racing, your body is fidgeting. And so there is a lot of unknown. There's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of ambiguity that happens in meditation. Hence the quote, life's most precious gift is uncertainty. So we have to practice sitting in that space. And eventually we become more comfortable with sitting in that space and our stress tolerance for ambiguity over time starts to become more uh, more rooted, more grounded, more proficient. So notice and just reflect. My invitation for you is to reflect on the last several months. How have you dealt with ambiguity? So I'm going to give you some questions. You can write them down. Maybe you and your partner can go through this, or maybe you just go through this by yourself, or maybe you share this with a friend. But I'm going to give you a few questions to see how you've dealt with ambiguity. So here we go. Number one, in the last seven months, how I've dealt with ambiguity is, in the last seven months, how I've dealt with ambiguity is, to me, ambiguity is frustrating when, to me, ambiguity is frustrating when, my parents' relationship to ambiguity was, (laughs) my parents' relationship to ambiguity was, and you should go through both of them, both mom and dad or whoever your parental figures were, how I had to respond as a child to ambiguity was, how I had to respond as a child to ambiguity was, and the ambiguity I've been struggling with in my life right now is, the ambiguity I've been struggling right now in my life is, So just give yourself some, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes in the next day or two to dive into those questions. Um, Even if you feel like you crush ambiguity, still dig in and really see what that ambiguity has to offer and maybe give some context for the mechanism or the machine that's in place when ambiguity shows up for you. Because for most of us, our relationship to ambiguity is birthed in our childhood, just like most other things. But our, our relatability to ambiguity, for some of us, ambiguity growing up was a prison. You know, it was something that we had to avoid. Uh, for some of us, it was this mechanism where we had to conform to acting and behaving in certain ways so that we could protect ourselves from ambiguity, right? And so a lot of people, you know, have this perfectionist persona or characteristic quality to their ego, to their identity in a in a means of trying to protect themselves from any form of unknown or uncertain. Uh, so, so that may have been birthed out of, uh, out of your, your childhood as well. So I look forward to that. Feel free to share those. You can uh, share that online if you want. If you're on Instagram, you can hit me up at Mantalks. I would love to hear 
how those questions go. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review online. Thank you so much for everyone in the last week that left us a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. And don't forget to man it forward and share this podcast episode with just one person. It goes a long way uh, to getting us into the ears and onto the phones uh, or whatever devices people are listening to us on. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to talking to you again soon.